Amen. Hey, grab a Bible. Get with me to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. If you need a Bible, you're going to find one in a seat back somewhere around you. But get a copy of God's Word in front of you. When we come to this time, we look at God's Word. It's about what God says. That's what we are here to study. John chapter 6. And um, hey, I can't waste any time. we got to get right to it. Uh, we, and we have to settle something of, of paramount importance as we start here today. And here's what it is. Um, the bread at a restaurant really makes or breaks a restaurant, does it not? I mean, you with me on that? The bread at a restaurant makes it or breaks it. So uh, my extroverts, my bold people, shout out, uh, restaurants with the best bread. Restaurants with the best bread. What? Texas Roadhouse, respectable choice, respectable choice. Who else? What? Something grill? Bonefish grill. Oh, yeah, that, I, I like that. I like that. But you all lose. Here it is. Are you ready? The grand champion of all bread, Stone Creek's bread. Anyone with me? Oh, man, Eric and, I, Eric and I are always like, listen, the answer when they ask more, for more bread is always yes, right? It's always yes. The bread at a restaurant makes or breaks the restaurant. Now, this does have something to do with today's message. Um, Jesus, uh, in John chapter, John chapter 6 is an action-packed chapter. Like, if this was an action movie, we would just be glued, we would be glued to it the whole time. John 6 is packed full of action. And Jesus is about to perform another sign that includes bread. And now, if you're newer to the Bible or newer to this, this Jesus thing, you're like, that doesn't sound very fun. It's amazing. What Jesus is about to do in this chapter and the sign he's about to perform literally should blow our minds. Um, in John chapter 6, there's really three scenes to the chapter. Uh, the, the first scene is what we call the feeding of the 5,000, and that has to do with this amazing thing he's going to do with five loaves of bread and two fish. And, but, but after that in John 6, we come to another of his signs, uh, walking on the water. But really where I'm going to spend most of my teaching time today is, is the back half of the chapter as Jesus uses that miracle he performed with the bread to teach us more of who he is. Uh, John 6 ends with what's often called the bread of life discourse or the bread of life teaching. And so th these are the three scenes we need to move through in this chapter. But as we come, I'm telling you, as we come to his teaching on the fact that he is the bread of life, I don't care where you walk in here today, you, we are going to be met wherever we are by the truths of who Jesus Christ is. Uh, um, there's five things I want to pull out that Jesus teaches in this discord and it, discourse, and I've, and I've packed all of those into this big idea for the day. When I believe Jesus is the bread of life, and here's these five, five things that I've, you know, they, they all start with the letter S. When we believe that Jesus is the bread of life, I'm saved, satisfied, secure, sacrificed for, and spiritually alive. All of that Jesus unpacks using his multiplying of bread as a powerful object lesson to teach us who he is. And so listen, if you walked in here today and you're hoping that the best part of church would be the next 30 minutes for you to take a nap, Jesus is going to meet you today. If you don't know him, you had no interest in church, you're here because mom or dad or because a boyfriend or a girlfriend or because whoever wanted you here today, I'm telling you, if you lean forward, Jesus, by the end of this church service may have changed your life, literally. If you walked in here today and you're curious, you were just curious, for some reason there's an interest in the things of God and you just keep showing up and you're beginning to study your Bible and you wouldn't say that you have believed in Jesus, but you're, man, you're curious and you're seeking what Jesus is going to teach today speaks to where you're at. If you're here today and you're doubting, 
And I'm talking like you know you're a believer, but you are doubting. The enemy is playing games with your mind to go, certainly if I was truly a believer, I wouldn't say the things, I'd, I wouldn't do the things, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't. Listen, Jesus is going to speak to that today. If you're here today and you're hungry for the Lord, the Lord is doing a work on your heart. The Lord is taking you into deeper places. Jesus is going to speak into what it looks like for us to feast of him more and more and more. And so let me pray and let's let God's word speak to us today. Father God, please Lord, as we pray to you, we're asking right now, Lord, we, we do not want to settle for abstract concepts when you have specific things for each of our hearts today. Lord, we don't want to settle for just general understanding, Lord, when you have very concrete ways you desire to speak to each of our hearts. So, Lord, would we, would we put aside the distractions? Lord, would we cast off the doubts Lord, would we calm and quiet our hearts before you? And word, Lord, would your word go forth now? Holy Spirit, would you anoint the pro proclamation of your word? God, would you meet us where we are? And Lord, you know perfectly, you know perfectly where every heart has walked into this room here today. Meet us, Lord, where we are. You're so good at that. And now, God, please, I pray, as the preacher of this, would you hide the preacher behind your word and under your word, God, please? That it would be your word that is heard and not mine. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's work, let's work through these scenes here. And I'm not going to get to our outline until we're to the third scene here of his, of his Bread of Life discourse. John chapter 6, verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And so just let's stop already because we got to understand a bit of the setting of, of what's happened. Uh, John chapter 5 ends and Jesus is in Jerusalem. If you remember, Mark, Pastor Mark preached them all, just a, did a great job teaching us last week of Jesus healing a, a man who'd been paralyzed 38 years. That's in Jerusalem. Some time has passed. Jesus is back in the north in the Galilee area and it tells us they're getting in the boat and they're going to cross to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, in the Gospels, when it talks about Jesus crossing to the other side, they're typically heading from the west side to the east side. And so off to the east of the sea they go. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him. And John tells us why they are. Because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. At this point in Jesus' ministry, it's kind of wherever Jesus go, the crowds are following Jesus goes there, there goes the crowds. Jesus goes over there, there goes the crowds. And John is always so quick to tell us these crowds are following after him because more signs. Man, Jesus did something cool last week. Let's see what he'll do this week. He did something cool yesterday. He's over there today. Let's go over there and see what he's about to do today. And so the crowds are coming. Verse 3, Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And then John tells us in verse 6, he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. How would you like to be Philip there, right? Now you you got to get this. They go up on a mountainside, and so kind of see this vantage point. They're up on the east side of the sea. Um, um, they're, they're up on a hillside, and Jesus and his disciples, there's a mass of humanity moving in their direction. And, and we're going to learn later on how big of a mass of people we're talking about. But a mass of people are coming towards them, and Jesus looks over to Philip, and he goes, Philip, where, uh, 
Where do you think we can get enough bread to feed all these people? And Jesus sets up what he's about to do. Philip answered, verse 7, Philip, Philip answered him, 200 denarii, or translate that for us, eight months worth of work. 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. But then look at what's said here. Look at what happens here. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what, but what are they for so many? Like, can you just see this now? Jesus is, there's massive people coming. Jesus has just nudged Philip and go, hey, Philip, where, where do you think we can buy enough bread for all these people? And Philip's like, what? Eight, eight months worth of work wouldn't even provide enough bread for, for, even, for even these people to get a crumb. But, but what's going on? What's going on with Andrew here who's like, oh, but I've seen, I've seen Jesus do some stuff. And Andrew's like, there's, there's five loaves over here and two fish, but surely what? I mean, Lord, what, what is that going to do for a crowd this size? But you bring the little bit you have and you bring it before Jesus and you watch him work. Amen? Amen? Jesus said, verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down. And then it tells us how many men sat down. About how many? About 5,000 in number. So we got to understand something. There's 5,000 men. That doesn't include the count of the women and the children that would have been represented in this. It's 5,000 men. So scholars estimate, some scholars estimate, you're talking potentially, potentially, no one knows. We know at least 5,000 men are there, but potentially up to 20,000 people sitting here. So uh, if you've ever been to a sold-out event at Gainbridge Fieldhouse, that's what we call it now, Gainbridge, right? Pacers play, if you've been to a sold-out Pacers game, concert show, uh, Gainbridge Fieldhouse sits 20,000 people. So you have, you have somewhere that we know, minimum 5,000, up to potentially 20,000 people that are coming and they're sitting on the grass and you have five cakes or loaves of bread and you have two, you have two fish. And Jesus says, sit them down. There are 5,000 in number, verse 11. Jesus then took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they, what's it say at the end of 11? As much as they, as much as they wanted, as much as they wanted. That's so important. Five, five loaves, two fish distributed amongst the masses and everyone had as much as they wanted. Now, why is that important? Because there's some scholarship out there that says things like this. What actually happened is that, that Jesus began to distribute the bread and the fish and everyone began to just take a little crumb and it was one of Jesus' kind of cool teachings that he made everyone think that they were full by just this crumb of the bread. That is theological baloney. These people ate and they ate as much as they wanted and it didn't stop there. Verse 12, and when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled, filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. There are more, listen, they bring a little bit before Jesus, Jesus multiplies and there's more leftovers when Jesus is done with it than there was food before he even got started with it. You bring a little bit before Jesus, you watch him work. 
Now, I'm not going into any more teaching on that right now because Jesus is about to use this whole scene to teach who, he's going to use it to teach us who he is here in a moment when they get back to the other side of the sea. But John, John is giving us this. Remember, John's whole point of his gospel is what? That we would see the signs, that we all would see the signs Jesus did, and that we would see, in seeing the signs, we would see him as the Son of God, Savior of the world, and that in seeing him as that, we would believe and have life in his name. And John's like, I'm telling y'all, there were five loaves of bread and two fish, and there were a mass of people, and they all ate, and we had picked up all these baskets at the end. See it and believe. Now, the crowd saw it, and the crowd ate of it, and the crowd has plans. Look at what we see in verse 14. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet. This is the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him, what's the word in your Bible, to make him what? To make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And so the crowd, the masses are there. They, have, they, have, they are literally the ones who ate of this miracle, who ate of this sign, and they're like, he's here. The prophet's here. Does this mean they've believed in Jesus? When, they, when it says they want to come and take him king, is that like they want to make him king of their heart? What's going on here? The prophet that this crowd was looking for was the prophet king who would come and deliver them from their Roman bondage, who would set up a kingdom on earth, they thought, who would combat Rome and free them from their Roman oppression. But Jesus had such better plans than that in store. He was not feeding them that, them that day interested in becoming some prophet king to deliver them from Rome. He was feeding them that, that day to show them later that he is the bread of life and he's setting up a kingdom that he's invited them into by faith. And so Jesus knows what's going on in their heart, that they want to come and make him king. And it says, Jesus, what did Jesus do? Jesus, what? He withdrew, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Isn't that interesting? As Jesus' popularities began to, to soar, all with wrong motives, Jesus hightailed it out of there. I want no part of that. So Jesus has withdrawn, and we're about to find out that as Jesus withdraws to the mountainside, his disciples are going to go back down to the lake, and they're going to begin to cross back over without him. Verse 16, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark. And Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, now just stop, just everyone take a deep breath, just really take a deep breath. Because if you grew up around the Bible, if, you're familiar, if you know what's coming next, you, you are in danger of reading the next part of this sentence and just like it's normal. And what we're about to read is not normal. Can I get an amen? Can I get a witness? When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. 
and coming near the boat. And then I love what John says, and they were frightened. <laughs> right? I mean, right? When's the last time you were driving, you know, southern Johnson County, and you're like, oh, yeah, there's a guy just strolling on his pond, right? This doesn't happen. They, they're rowing. They're three to four miles into this row. They're on the middle of a lake. Things start to get rough. They, they look. Jesus is walking on the water. And now some of you hear this, right? You're going, come on. You, listen, you have to understand something. As John began his gospel, he said this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was. He was in the beginning with, with, he was in the beginning with God. What's it say after that? Anyone know? All things were made by him. And without him, there wasn't anything made that was made. Do we understand something? Jesus is creator God. He sits sovereign over the laws of nature, not subject under the laws of nature like we are. If he wants to walk on his water, he will walk on his water. How cool is that? And John is like, oh, I'm throwing this one in here as well that you would see it and you would believe. That he is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And so Jesus comes walking on the water. They're frightened, verse 20. But he said to them, it is I, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad. <laughs> Don't you love that? Frightened? Just at the words of Jesus. It is I, do not be afraid. They're glad. And then they were glad to take him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Okay, so just follow scene one and scene two. Scene one, you have the disciples and Jesus traveling to the other side of the lake. You have them going up to the hillside. You have the masses coming to them. You have them taking five loaves of bread and two fish, multiplying those out, feeding the masses. Jesus knows what's going on in the hearts of the people. He withdraws to a quiet place by himself. Disciples go down to the lake. They're rowing three to four miles. Jesus walks out over the water into the boat. Now They're now back in Capernaum. And when the People on the other side of the lake realize Jesus isn't still on the other side of the lake. Remember, this is the time in Jesus' ministry where wherever Jesus goes, the crowd goes as well. And so look at what happens, verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. So they're like, okay, Jesus is back on the other side. Get everyone in the boats. Let's go. Now we're in it. Okay, now we're in it. You ready? I'm telling you all. What Jesus is about to teach us of who he is is a word for every single heart in this room, and I don't care where you walk in here at. When I believe Jesus is the bread of life, the first thing we're going to see of what he teaches here is this. I am saved. We're going to talk about what that means, and I want to show you what that means. When I believe Jesus is the bread of life, I am saved. Look at what Jesus says here. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? 
Jesus isn't interested in answering that question. He wants to get to something else. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Okay, remember, there's a stop there. Do you remember up to this point in the gospel? Every time that the crowds start to come to Jesus, what does John tell us about why they're coming? They want to see his, they want to see his signs. More signs, more signs, more signs. Jesus, as the crowd now back over the water with him, he's like, it's even worse than that. You're not even here now to see the signs. And you're not here because you want to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. You're here because I filled your bellies yesterday, and you want me to come fill your belly again. You're not here to deny yourself. You're here to use me to indulge yourself. You're looking for another meal. Jesus then takes the hunger of their belly, and as he always does, to show them that what's actually hungry is their heart. Look at what he says. Do not, verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. So Jesus says, don't work for the food that perishes. Work for the food that wells up to eternal life. Now, now, but look, look at their question. Verse 28, then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? There it is. There it is. There is the age-old human heart question from, e, from history past and will be the wrestle to history future when Jesus comes back. And the wrestle is this, what are the good works I got to do to get right with God? Just tell me. What are, what are these works of God that wells up to eternal life? What are the good works to get me right with God? How much lying is allowable? What, 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 what sexual lines can I cross and what's too far? In Jesus, Jesus just puts a pin and explodes this fallacy of all of human history. Look at what he says, verse 29. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God. Here it is. Ready? That you believe in him who he has sent. You want to get right with God? Believe in the one he has sent. You want peace with God? Believe in the Son He has sent. You want to be saved from your sin? Believe in the one He has sent. Verse 30. So they said to him, What? Okay, okay. Believe in the one He sent. Okay, okay. Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What, what work do you perform? I'm telling y'all, praise the Lord, I'm not Jesus. I would have just been like, you all are idiots. I'm done. Can we talk about yesterday? You know, when we all sat on the hillside, and, but they're, they're not seeing it. They're not seeing it. They go on, this is so good. Are, 
Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread. Give us this bread always. You know what Jesus just said there? No, no, no. It, was, it wasn't that Moses made the bread rain. It's that your heavenly father made the bread rain. Your heavenly father brought the bread from heaven. Your heavenly father brought the manna. And now your heavenly father has brought the greater manna. And he's standing right in front of them. And he said, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. When we see that Jesus is the bread of life, when we, when we do what verse 29 tells us, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent, you will be saved. I have to ask you, have you believed that Jesus is the bread of life? You have to hear this. Every single one of us in this room, we're all in the same camp. Sin has alienated us from a holy God. Sin has separated us from a holy God. God is so perfect. Sin cannot be in his presence. And God is so clear in his word that the penalty for our sin is a death sentence. Jesus, the one we're looking at right now, he came and he lived a sinless life. Perfect in every way. Perfect in motive. Perfect in mouth. Perfect in action perfect in every way, but then he took our death penalty on the cross. So, if today, why not today? If today you will believe that Jesus is the bread of life, if today you will receive him as Lord, the Bible tells you here's what happens. All of the wrath that is rightfully owed to us is absorbed by Jesus on the cross. And all of his righteousness is now imputed or given into our account. So that by your faith, one day when you stand before your creator, he will see you robed in the righteousness of his son. And your sins are not counted against you. If you will see today that Jesus is the bread of life and you will believe on his name, you will be saved. This is the work of God. Now, when I believe Jesus is the bread of life and when I am saved, I then, secondly, am satisfied. All in favor of some soul satisfaction in the room here today? Verse 35. 
Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not, what? Shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall not, never thirst. I am the bread of life. And then Jesus says this. Do you hear it? Do you believe his words? Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. If you walked in here today with a restless and hungry heart, the answer to the hunger of your heart is the Lord Jesus Christ. If you walked in here today with a, with a thirsty soul, the answer to that thirsty soul is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I am not preaching some false gospel that says, just come to Jesus and all your problems go away. That's not what this is saying. Instead, what this is saying is come to Jesus. In fact, if you do, your problems may only increase in this broken world in which we live, but it won't matter because he is so soul-satisfying, your circumstances pale in comparison to his greatness. When we see him as the bread of life, we are satisfied. Two weeks ago, uh, Erica and I and Pastor DJ and Hillary were sitting at a lunch with a uh, pastor and wife, friends of ours, and um, we just were chatting, and we had gotten on to um, this pastor's uh, testimony. And he just described he was in college, and he was living he was living the, the he was living up the college life apart from Christ. And you can fill in the blanks of all the things that that includes. And he said this distinctly one Saturday night, he, he just, he needed to be filled. He needed to be satisfied. He needed something to fill his heart. So he drove to one college campus looking for the party that would do it, the girl that would do it, the whatever that would just satisfy that. There's, he said there was nothing on that college campus. So he drove uh, to a bar that was on another college campus. And he said uh, that Saturday night, he's sitting at that bar, just bellied up to the table there. And he's like, I, my life is miserable. I am so miserable. He got back in his car and he drove home to his parents' house. He went to bed. The next day was a Sunday morning. His mom was away at church. He got up miserable, miserable with his existence, going everything that I've tried, everything that I thought would satisfy, all of this, living it all up in college, all, it's, it's nothing. His younger brother had some Christian CDs, Christian CDs that he had always made fun of his younger brother from listening to. He, took, he, he picked up a DC Talk CD. Come on, y'all. <laughs> he put it in the CD player. You remember when the CDs had, you had the jacket with the lyrics on it? Everyone under the age of whatever is like, what are you talking about? He, he grabbed the jacket, read the lyrics as this song began, DC Talk, in the light, and the song starts with this. I keep trying to find a life on my own apart from you. I'm the king of excuses. I've got one for every selfish thing I do. Tell me what's going on inside of me. I despise my own behavior. This only serves to confirm my suspicions that I'm still a man in need of a savior. I want to be in the light <laughs> as you are in the light. By the end of that song, the scales had fallen from his eyes. Jesus Christ had saved his life, and he was jumping in his room in excitement. 
from party on one college campus to a bar at another to a, a, a bedroom by himself where Jesus met him and his soul was satisfied. And now for 20 years, he has boldly proclaimed the gospel across the city of Toronto. I'm telling us today, there is nothing and there is no one who can satisfy the hunger of your heart apart from Christ. The next guy won't do it. The next girl won't do it. The next promotion won't do it. The next raise won't do it. The next compliment, the next affirmation, the next whatever it is, it can't do it. Our hearts hunger for Jesus. And when they feast on him, they'll never hunger again. So when we believe that Jesus is the bread of life, I'm saved, I'm satisfied, and now what's coming is so important. What's, oh, oh, what's coming is so important. Thirdly, it's this, I am secure. When I believe Jesus is the bread of life, I am secure. Okay, let me just tell you up front. What I believe Jesus says so clearly in this next section, some of you are going to walk in here and heartily disagree with me on. I'm praying the Lord changes your mind right now. Look at what Jesus says here, and it's so important for our walk with him. So important. Can I say it again? It is so important. Verse 36. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I'm the, bread of, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, it's not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know. How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. Do you think Jesus is making a point here? It is written in the prophets, and they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who, uh, who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. I want to so clearly from this section of Jesus' teaching preach as boldly and clearly as I can on this topic. Jesus says here, that the source of our salvation rests in the Father who called us. Help me out, church. Give me an amen to that. The source of our salvation rests 
in the Father who has called us. The security of our salvation rests in the Son who keeps us. Let me say it another way. The Father has called you to faith, and the Son is keeping you in the faith. Let me say it another way. Once you are saved, you are always saved. Once you have come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, there is no one or nothing that can pluck you out of his hand. Some of you, you grew up in different churches. You grew up with different thoughts on this. You, you, like, you already got the email kind of loaded and ready to go. Like you, you, you don't agree with it. And I have good brothers and sisters in the faith who do not, would not agree with this. But, but don't take my word for it. Take Jesus' word for it. Let's look at what he says. Rapid fire. Here we go. Verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, called by the Father. Keep going. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out, kept by the Son. Verse 39, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, kept by the Son. Verse 40, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, called by the Father. Keep going. And I will raise him up on the last day, kept by the Son. Verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, called by the Father, and I will raise him up on the last day, kept by the Son. Your faith and keeping your faith is not, does not ultimately rest on your flippant heart. Your faith and keeping your faith does not ultimately rest on our faithfulness or faithlessness that ebbs and flows from day to day. We have been called to faith by the Father. The Father has commanded us to believe on that. And the Son of God is keeping us in the faith. Stop wrestling with it and rest in it. Stop wrestling with it and rest in it. And right now, all of us, all of us do this. All of us in the room are going, yeah, but I know the guy or I know the girl. And man, they were, they were walking with the Lord and then they just, man, they just left the faith. They never were in the faith. You're like, how can you say that so dogmatically? How prideful of that is you? I didn't say it. Jesus is going to say it. At the very end of this story, those who had been following him are going to abandon him. And Jesus is going to say this about those who abandon him. They were following me, but they, I knew they had never actually believed in me. Because what Jesus says here is those who have actually believed are kept by him, and he will not lose one of them. This is massive for our walk with the Lord. If we believe that what's ultimately keeping us in the faith is our faithfulness, what happens to us on days of faithlessness? We are called by a good father. He commands us to believe, and we are kept by an amazing son to the praise of his glory. So when I believe in Jesus, when I believe Jesus is the bread of life, I'm saved, I'm satisfied, I'm secure, and now fourthly, I've been sacrificed for. This is really good news. Verse 52. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. 
Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Jesus is pressing the metaphor here. Don't miss the metaphor. Is Jesus advocating for extreme cannibalistic practices here? Don't miss, have you ever missed the metaphor? I was playing a, a catch with this little kid. He's probably three or four years old, family friends of ours. And we're playing catch with a baseball. And, uh, he, you know, he's just stabbing his glove everywhere. He's not even close. And so I went over and I'm, you know, trying to teach him. I'm like, okay, whatever you do, like when you see the ball, leave my hand. Just keep your eye on the ball. That kid picked that ball up and he just stuck the ball to his eye right there. <laughs> just kept it right there. Don't miss the metaphor, right? Jesus has already explained to us the metaphor. Those who come and eat of him as the bread of life are those who have believed in him as the son of God. And what Jesus is teaching here is that uh, he has not come to be the prophet king who's going to triumphantly triumphantly ride in and rescue them from the Romans. He has come as the savior king to triumphantly ride victoriously to a cross. That his body is going to be broken and his blood is going to be shed. And anyone who will come and eat of his flesh and drink of his blood by believing in him and abiding in him will live forever. And then lastly, Jesus tells us this will lead to spiritual life. When I believe Jesus is the bread of life, finally I have spiritual life. Look at how he finishes this. Verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said... This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if, we, what, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Think about that. He's like, if this offends you, if this is really hard for you to believe, what's going to happen the day you watch me literally? Woo? How are you going to be able to process that? Verse 63, it is the spirit, though don't miss this now, it is the spirit who gives life. Let me read that again. It is the spirit who gives life. We need spiritual life. The flesh is no help at all. Anyone have any testimony of that from the last week, right? The flesh is no help at all. It is the spirit who gives life. We need spiritual life. The flesh is no help at all. We need spiritual eyes to see these truths. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Verse 64, here it is. Here's what I was talking about earlier. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to, me, come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this is such a sad line, such, this is such a sad line. After this, 
many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Every eye look at me, every, just every eye look at me right now. Only two paths, only two paths. There is no third path. We either see him as the bread of life and we believe in him and we follow with our whole lives after him or we turn our back and we walk away. Those are the only two paths. There's no third path. And these people who Jesus knew had never actually believed but have been following, they just said that, whoa, whoa, this, I'm out. So Jesus said to the 12, verse 67, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God, O Spirit of God, that people would see that today. There's only two paths. Only two. Every single one of us in this room will either believe and bow to the Lordship of Jesus Christ or we will turn our back and walk away. Oh, that we would believe and oh, that the Father would grant us faith. And oh, that once we grant us faith, that we would declare and call on the name of Jesus to be saved. And oh, once we've called, how we would rest in the fact that he will keep us until the day that he raises us and we stand before him. And here, well done, good and faithful servant. But only two paths. What will you do today? Today. I'm not worried about tomorrow. I'm not, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. If the Lord is calling you, do not harden your heart against him. The Bible says so clearly, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved right there in your seat. There's no flashy prayer. There's no, there's no, like, there's no, um, there's no, like, routine thing you have to say. There's no prescribed thing. You call, you call, Jesus, you, save me. Lord, right now you are showing me all of my sin. I'm sorry, Lord, save me. You're showing that you're so good. You're drawing me to yourself. Save me. Call, cry. Because there's only two paths. And now, church, today, we get to celebrate with those who have chosen the path of eating of the bread of life. And what a celebration that is. We are about to witness, I think four, am I right? Five? It just keeps getting better. Four or five, we don't even know, it's awesome. Four or five? People who have called on the name of the Lord to be saved. They have declared that by grace through faith, Jesus has saved them. And they are obedient now to go publicly with their faith to show the world that they are followers of Jesus. 
to stand before his church and go, I am declaring today, I am a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as they fellowship with us, they're inviting the accountability of what that means. But we have a responsibility in this, and our responsibility in this is to celebrate with them. The Christian life is about rejoicing with those who rejoice, and we celebrate in a big way. Are you ready, Redeemer? Let's